Hey, Connect family, Merry Christmas or the day after. Did you guys have a great Christmas experience? I hope you did. I hope you're enjoying time with your family. Some of you are probably sitting there in your jammies, you know, just chilling out uh, by the fire, uh, kind of post-present chaos, wrapping paper all over the floor. Things are kind of messy. You're sipping your coffee with your blanket and your slippers on. I know what you're doing, and I am, I am excited for you that you guys get to do that today. Hey, listen, I want to wrap up our series, uh, Christmas is Forgiving. So the day after Christmas, this is part three in our series, and I just have, I think, a word that not only finishes the year, but I think it I think it tees up 2022. I can't even believe that we are on the cusp of a new year. This year has, I mean, we always say it, right? But this year, if you just pause for a second, doesn't it th seem like it went by crazy, crazy fast? But anyway, it's been an awesome, awesome year. and It's been a joy to be your pastor this year. And I'm so glad those of you are watching uh, around the world, somewhere in our country, and then even local, our local church experiencing church online today. No services physically today. We wanted you all to be home. Dream team to get the relax that you need because we're going to be gearing up because our best days are ahead in Jesus' name. So listen, let me do a quick review for some of you that are catching up. Um, Christmas is forgiving. The we're talking about forgiveness, the subject of forgiveness. And in the first message, we, we really talked about how important it is uh, to forgive those who have hurt you. Forgiving those who have hurt you. We had three different kind of ways to look at forgiveness. And we talked about the importance of, you know, these kind of counterintuitive uh, prescriptions that God gave us so that you could be able to do that. We talked about the importance of being able to pray to be able to forgive and to be able to bless. Those things are crazy when you look at them from the outside, but they work from the inside out, amen? And then in week two, last week, great services last week, and if you didn't listen to this message, please go to our YouTube channel and check that out. But we talked about a, a really, um, a little more surgical uh, subject because it kind of cuts a little bit. It, it hits an area, it hits our pride, I think, in a way where we have to learn how to initiate forgiveness for the people we have hurt. How do we do that? And we, we, we looked at kind of three choices there as well. We looked at kind of three steps. We talked about stop, you know, everything you're doing, drop everyone that you're kind of holding on to, and then you can go and you can give your, your, your gifts to God, your offering to God, your worship and your heart to God. Matthew chapter 5, kind of the counterpunch to Matthew chapter 18 for some of you who know those relationship texts. Powerful, powerful message. Please go back and listen to that. Now today, in our third installment, we're going to talk about receiving forgiveness. So this is more from God to you and to me. And we're going to, it's interesting that some people have not too difficult a time giving forgiveness. Some people don't like to initiate it, but they can. But people that, there's just a lot of people that have a hard time forgiving themselves or receiving forgiveness uh, from God and moving beyond the hurt and the pain and the guilt and the shame because they can't experience God's forgiveness. So today's message is from God to you, and I hope this blesses you. Now, I couldn't go through uh, this day without reading a Christmas text. In Matthew chapter 1, uh, the angel of the Lord is speaking to Mary, and he says uh, to her, She will give birth, speaking of uh, Jesus' mother, she will give birth to a son, 
and you are to give him the name Jesus. And this, of course, name means the Lord saves. Because he will save his people from their sin. Come on, say that. He's going to save his people. And all this took place to fulfill what the Lord, the prophet, had said. And then in John 3, 17, you know John 3, 16, the most popular verse in the Bible. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believes in him would not perish, but have everlasting life. But I love this next verse. It says, God did not send his son into the world, verse 17, to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. So see, Jesus didn't come into the world to scare us. He came to save us. We see this in Matthew chapter 1. Uh, 21. We also see that Jesus didn't come into this world to hold us hostage, but to let us off the hook. He doesn't want to condemn us and hold us and arrest us. He wants to give us uh, a second chance on life. And so we're going to talk about that today in this particular subject of forgiving or yourself or receiving forgiveness. Because it's in these times, these seasons that we're in right now, where for some it's joy, you know, and it's, it's, it truly is a Merry Christmas. It's the most wonderful time of the year. But for others, it's not so much a wonderful experience because it, re, it, it surfaces a little bit more that pain, uh, that regret, uh, that guilt that we have about different things uh, that we've done, mistakes that we've made. I heard different people, I uh, was kind of collecting some stories over the last couple months, but one person made a mistake and it was just kind of a poor judgment um, that he had made, but because of his past, this particular recent thing, he's going to do some jail time. And he was just beat up about it. Another person, you know, uh, with some unpaid child support, uh, got himself in a pickle and, and he was wanting to work things out with his spouse. But because of that, the marriage is, is going to come to an end. And he knew that it was his fault. Another person, because of a poor judgment on the job, lost his job during the holidays and now feels extremely guilty and, and, and really having a hard time getting over it, especially during the holidays. Everybody in his family is looking at him and, and, and he's very down and he's very uh, seemingly feeling guilty. And as a result, unable to forgive himself. Now, I don't know what your story is. I don't know if you even have one like that. But are you in a predicament like that where there's something you haven't been able to let yourself off the hook for? I want you to know something. God wants to release you from that. And there's a process that we can see in many different places within the Bible. And we're going to get that. But we need to learn how to move beyond our pain, move beyond our hurt, and, and get to the place where we can receive what God has for us. But when we make mistakes, we really kind of have like two choices, two ways to look at this, two uh, responses to our mistakes. And I'll read a text for you that's really, really critical uh, to this uh, intersection that we all face because we all make mistakes. The Bible says, if you think you're standing firm, be careful lest you fall. You know, and it talks about the fact that we're all going to stumble and we all fail and we all make mistakes. But this scripture here is really, really cool. It says in 2 Corinthians 7.10, this is two types of sorrow. In other words, when you make a mistake, you should feel sorry. But there's two types of I'm sorry. One is it says this, godly sorrow is the first type. Godly sorrow brings repentance. It leads to salvation. I love this. It says, and leaves no regrets. But then it says, contrast the other type, worldly sorrow brings death. So one type of sorrow is basically saying, God, I'm sorry that I've done this. I, 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 you know, I, I went against your plan. I went against your will, for example. I, I take responsibility. I repent. Uh, you know, I own it. That's, that's a godly sorrow. And the scripture is saying that type 
of sorrow. That response to sin, that response to failure and mistakes is the, is the type that receives life and a life, listen, without regret. But the other type, another kind of sorrow, this, this worldly sorrow is basically saying, oh, I can't even believe I just did that. So stupid, you know, and, 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 and they're mad because they got caught. They're, they're upset and sorry because of how it's going to affect them. That's not sorrow that leads to repentance. That's sorrow that leads to death, the Bible says, death of the relationship, death of the benefit, death of the intimacy. Whatever it is that was bringing life, it severs the, the line, as it were, of life to that. And so I want you to get a, a new biblical prescription so that we make the right choice, that we pursue godly sorrow, not worldly sorrow. And we're going to look at the life of David. Now, my son actually was preaching on this um, uh, just a few weeks ago uh, through the 508, and, and it got my brain going. I'm like, you know what? There's some more in there that relates to this forgiveness series. And so when you, you know a little bit, if you've been in church any length of time, about King David, one of my favorite uh, biblical heroes of all time. He was, he was appointed by God, uh, anointed by God. He was God's messenger. He, he was a worshiper. He was one after God's own heart. He influenced thousands and th- tens of thousands of people. But this guy did something bad. You know, he, he, he had an adulterous affair. Uh, he tried to cover it by murdering someone or creating a murder uh, situation. And um, as a result, uh, he, 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 he ruined this person who was his friend, Uriah the Hittite. He ruined his life. by He's not there. He's, he's gone now. He ruined Uriah's wife's life as well. But he takes Uriah's wife to be his own, and they have... Uh, they, they have relations and she's pregnant and she gives birth to a child. The child is deathly ill in this particular story. And David pleads with God to please save the baby. But in his heart of hearts, he knows there is a correlation and connection between what is happening to this child as a consequence or byproduct of his choice, of his mistakes. Have you ever felt that way? You know there's certain suffering that is transpiring in your life or the life of those you love and in your conscience is telling you uh, that there's some connection between what they're facing and feeling and what you did. And, and that's what's going on with David. And the Bible tells us that after seven days pleading with the Lord that the child died. And David had a tremendous, undoubtedly, sense of guilt about this because the loss of a child is brutal. I mean, uh, my pastor always says, there's no pain like kid pain. And that is the truth. And, and before we go into the particular of that, why does that ha- this kind of stuff happen? Well, sometimes bad things happen because we live in a cursed world. We live in a broken world. And, and there's going to be an, ux- an ultimate reconciliation of all the wrongs of our world, physically and spiritually. But sometimes it's because it's just a cursed world that came as a byproduct of original sin. But sometimes these things happen, this stuff happens because the devil's attacking you. See, you're, when you're going in a certain direction and you're accomplishing things uh, for God, you're, you're a man or a woman on a mission, the devil hates that and he hates you. And so he'll do everything to oppose you. Oftentimes that happens at what we would see as the most inopportune time for that to happen. But if we could just learn to discern we would be able to see that these things are often predictable. In fact, the patterns are there for us over and over again. But in this story, 
um, this story reveals that these kind of things happen. These unfortunate things can happen. The suffering, the suffering of loss, uh, the challenges that we might experience can be as a result of our sin. I like to say it this way. Some suffering is a result of, you know, uh, the cursed world. It's common. Some suffering is a result of Christian suffering, our association with the name of Jesus Christ, and the enemy hates Christians. Some suffering is consequential. It's a byproduct of our choices. And so David knew because of his sin uh, that, that this had happened, but the Lord was still working in his life. But in order for the Lord to continue to work in his life, David was going to have to make a choice. Is he going to let this pain and this regret and this guilt take him out, take him down? Or is he going to let God use it, leverage it, for some, redeem it for a greater purpose? How did David and how do you and how do I move forward when there's been a setback because of our sin? Sometimes we experience setbacks not because of direct or obvious sin. Sometimes we're just out of sync not just in sin. God wants you to get lined up with Him. But we could be suffering because of those things. How do you and I move forward? I would get you to see, there's a quote that says, the greatest miracles are not in the rearview mirror, they're in the windshield. So how do we look forward? How do we look ahead? Number one, looking at this story, write this down if you're taking notes. You have to accept what cannot be changed. You have to accept what cannot be changed. Second Samuel is where this story comes from. Uh, the story of David and Bathsheba and the, and the child who just passed. It says in verse 22, the servants, they came in, D David's worship, uh, he's uh, praying, and he's on his hands and knees for days now, and he hasn't washed, and he hasn't taken a shower. And, and he says, um, they're talking about him, and David responded, is the child still alive? And, 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 and they said, no. And he says, well, that's why I fasted and wept. Why did you do that? He said, because maybe the Lord would be gracious to me and grant my request. But now that he is dead, look, David accepts the facts. Why should I fast? Can I bring him back again? No, I will go to him, but he will not return to me. And the Bible goes on to say that he got up and he moved on. And so David accepted the facts that his son was gone. And, um, and, and this is interesting because what did he do? He accepted the fact that there's nothing he can do about it anymore. Um, he can't change the past at this particular point in time. And isn't that a lot of times our problem when it comes to forgiving ourselves? We simply will not let go of the past. And, um, and, and I remember going through this with, I have kids, uh, many of you guys know that, that call Connect Your Home. My middle daughter, Madison, when she was young, I was thinking about this, uh, super tender. She was probably the most you know, she was always attached, like, you know, like, a, like to, to the hip of her father, just, just very affectionate, loving girl. We go through grocery stores and she'd be, hi, what's your name to strangers? And, and she'd go hold ladies' hands and, and people's hands, you know, who's your mommy, who's your daddy? It's just sweet as could be. But one of the things that Madison loved was animals and little stuffed animals in particular because we wouldn't let her get all these animals that she wanted. And she got attached to this little bear, and I don't remember what this little brown bear's name was, but one time she got so upset because she couldn't find it. And we went on a you know, all-out search to try to find it. She was crying about it. She was super sad about it. And finally I just said, Madison, honey, you're just going to have to let it go. And she's like, but Daddy, I just can't let it go. I just can't let it go. I can't. 
And I said, honey, if you don't let it go, uh, then you can't enjoy this. And I pulled out another stuffed animal that I had gotten for her. And of course she received that and she began to, you know, her tears changed to smiles and happiness. And the truth is many of us are in a, uh, we're, we're almost caught in a loop of this mourning process. And I would just say this to you, if you can't let it go, you can't enjoy what God has for you. You can't receive what God has for you next. There was a story of two monks that were traveling, very um, um, religious lives that they led and, and, and they, they lived, you know, kind of uh, solo from all heterosexual contact. And one day they were out in the woods and they were crossing uh, this particular river and this woman was there, beautiful woman was there and she was at the river's edge but she was scared to go across. It was just too strong for her little body and so she asked for help and the older monk looked at the younger monk and said, you know, no, I, we, can't, we can't do that. And, and you know, we, cannot, we can never let the, the skin of a woman ever touch us lest it lead us into temptation. And she kept, please, please help me. And of course the younger one, younger monk wanted to help. And so he did. He helped her across the river and is, are you okay, ma'am? Yes. And as soon as she got to the other side, she grabbed him, hugged him and kissed him on the cheek. And the older monk was so upset about this. And they, they walked off and they didn't talk for hours and hours and hours and miles and miles and miles. And finally the older monk says, I cannot believe that you let the skin of a woman touch you. And the younger monk said to the older monk, listen, I let her go hours ago, but you have kept her in your heart all this time. And see, that's what happens to a lot of us. A lot of us, we just can't let it go. We keep these things in our heart. Physically, we're removed from the situation, but we still have these things captured in our heart. Some of us carry this pain for years and years and years. That's why the second prescription from this story is so important. Look what it says. First of all, write this down. You have to not, you have to give it up to God. That's the second point is to give it up to God. We have to give it over. We have to give it up to God. Second Samuel 12, 20, it says it like this. Then David got up from the ground and after he had washed, he put on some lotions, kind of soaped up, got some deodorant and he changed his clothes. He went into the house of the Lord and he worshiped. So on his worst day, one of his worst trials probably to date, what did he do? He got up and he went to church. He went to church and he worshiped. He, on his worst, didn't turn away from God. He turned towards God. I would just submit to you that many of us, when we're going through a very painful situation, that's the last thing we do. Instead, it should be the first thing we do. A lot of us sometimes will go to an ibuprofen before we ask God to heal us and go to the name of Jesus. A lot of times we'll go to our mother before we go to our Heavenly Father. Sometimes we just continue to ruminate on some of these things that have happened in the past instead of getting up, physically changing our posture and disposition and begin to go to our God. And in times like these, we kind of either go inward can't believe this happened. And we begin to just sulk about the situation, stay in that. I feel so badly. I'm a miserable person. Sometimes we go outward. We're looking for people to validate us, our existence, our circumstances, our opinions, our viewpoints. Will you tell me that I'm okay? Will you tell me that this is all right? Will you tell me that I fit in and, and, and help me feel okay about myself? 
But God wants us to look upward. Come on. The Bible says, I believe in Psalm 121, where does my help come from? It comes from the Lord. Why? Because he made heaven and earth and he can take care of you on earth and all your earthly problems. Amen. And so we turn to God. We look upward for our strength. We look upward for our peace and for our solace. And we look upward for the forgiveness. And God, again, he wants, he didn't come into the world to condemn you, but to let you off the hook. And so in this sin-filled world, I have to say for myself, the only way sometimes I can do it week to week and month to month is I have to learn to give things over to God. This is a, this is a necessary, essential practice for Christ followers. And it's actually, we have an advantage in the world. A lot of times I tell people, you know, Christians have an advantage in this broken world because we have an anchor. Because we, the Bible actually calls it an anchor of hope in Scripture. We have this anchor. We have this hope. We have a blessed assurance. See, there's something that we have that can root us. But we're going to have to go to that in those times if we're going to benefit from that. And then if we do, we can give that away to other people. 2 Corinthians 1.3 says we, um, you know, we, we give to people what we ourselves have received from the Lord. We give comfort we give comfort to the ones who need it because we have received comfort from the Lord in the first place. 2 Corinthians 1 uh, verse 3. So when you're faced and I'm faced with needs that are beyond my capacity, capacity to manage, capacity to self-regulate, uh, you know, ca capacity to handle in any way, shape, or form, and that happens. Sometimes these, the problems in our life, the mistakes that we can make in our life, they can drain you. You have to learn how David did it, how Jesus did it as well. We have to give these things over to God. Sometimes I literally have to almost like wrestle myself to release it because I want to hold it and I want to scrap with it and I want to keep it all inside. And God's like, no. David said in Psalm 62, I poured my heart out like a pitcher. I love that. He's just like, I'm, I'm giving it all to you, God. And you can see from his writings what he would say. He was very raw. And so when you're in that sourcing of trouble, and trial that are going on in your life. Look what it says in Isaiah 60, excuse me, Isaiah 6, verse 1. And this kind of opens a window of understanding, I think, that can really help us. It says, In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord seated on the throne, high and exalted, and his train of his robe filled the temple. What is he saying? He's saying, you know, when the whole world falls apart, like look at 2020 and 2021, some people could have said that's exactly what happened. The, the instability, the uncertainty of it all, the unpredictability of it all. And when, you know, you feel like you're going to quit or you, you, you can't make it or when your loved one quits on you or even leaves you or when somebody leaves you, literally leaves this world, passes from this life to the next or when you do something stupid and, and now you're facing the, the ramifications of this. He said this in Isaiah 6.20. He says, I saw the Lord in the year when nothing made sense. King Uzziah died. I still received in the middle of that the presence of God and I saw him high and lifted up. And his power and his presence uh, enough for me to be able to keep going and moving forward. Some need, you know, to, to face the fact that in the past things cannot be changed. And we have to turn that burden into blessing by learning how to let it go and move forward. By learning how to give it up and give it over to God. Now my final point on this post-Christmas message. Number three, write this down. You got to focus. I love this point. You got to focus on what is left, not on what is lost. Focus on what is left, 
not on what is lost. Look at this story. See, in other words, just like I was saying to Madison, if you're willing to let it go, you can have this. But if you don't, you, you'll never receive this. Stop looking at what's, what's left and uh, start looking at what's lost and get ready because something is, is there for you on the other side. We were calling it all through the series. What's on the other side? of forgiveness. So what's on the other side of forgiveness? Let's look at 2 Samuel 12, 24. I love this. It says, then David, this is after the realization that his son has died, okay? He's gotten up, he's washed up, he's worshiped, he's gone to church. Now look, he goes back to where it all went wrong. He goes back to his wife. He comforts her. The Bible says he, li he lies with her. She conceives. Later, she gives birth to a second son. Note, a second son. And they named him Solomon. Pretty special dude in history. And it's, the Bible says the Lord loved him. What do you see? Did God replace what was lost? No. Could the pain of the loss of the first child ever go away completely? Probably not. But what did he do? He didn't change the past. Instead, he brought something new into the future. See, there is a point for grieving. There is a point and a place for mourning. But we, at some point in time, come on somebody, at some point it's time to move forward. And, and, and our spiritual enemy, he wants us to look back. He wants to live in the pain of the past. He wants us to live looking through the rearview mirror. Listen, people, stop looking back. Certainly not doing it forever and ever and ever. The Bible says, Paul speaking, forgetting what is behind. I press on toward the mark of the prize of the high calling of Jesus. And so the truth is, we should remember the things we forget and we should forget the things we remember, right? And we go back and we remember things that God wants us to forget. And God's like, I forgot that a long time ago. Why are you so preoccupied with this son? I have put that and I have thrown that into the sea of forgetfulness. Stop digging that stuff up, Derek. So the past can't be changed. Listen, the past can't be changed, but the meaning of the past can be changed. God can change the meaning of the past if we let him. Now, I'm going to tell you a personal story. I actually changed this today. I had a totally different illustration that I was going to use here, but hopefully I don't mess this up. Some of you know this story. Some of you don't, okay? Your pastor was less than a perfect human being, and uh, far from it, still am. But um, I was a really um, broken young man when I was in college, trying to find my way. I knew the call of God was on my life, but I wrestled the call of God. And one of the ways that the enemy would attack me, um, I remember when I was installed as a senior pastor a year later, and, and the, one of the exhortations was to be careful of the, of the gold, the glory, and the girls. Well, my Achilles was the girls. And I had met this beautiful girl that I loved, fell in love with, but I fell into sin with, and that is now my wife today. God has redeemed it, and we have an incredible life, but it, it started wrong. It started in sin, and um, I can remember when uh, Stacy, uh, I found out, she called me one night, and she was pregnant. Whew, what a life-changing day that was. All the guilt of, 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 our, of our choices, my choices in particular, I, I, felt, I felt responsible for that. I remember the, the, the next day, we you know, kind of covertly went to a Planned Parenthood. And we confirmed, in fact, she was pregnant. And when we left the Planned Parenthood, by the way, I met this absolutely incredible doctor there um, and uh, spirit-filled doctor who spoke words over me 
that are life-changing. Another message, another time. I left, I come out to the car, put my, my girlfriend then, Stacy, in the car. I go around the back and the Holy Spirit spoke to me. And it's close to audible because it was so clear what he was saying. And he said, son, this child can be the joy of your repentance or the consequence of your sin. You need to choose. See, all of us make mistakes, but we come to this place, this, this line of demarcation, this intersection, these defining moments in our life where we all have a choice. Am I going to live the rest of my life and my wife-to-be with a scarlet letter upon us? Or are we going to let God use that for His glory and for His purposes? And I came around and I told Stacy what had happened and we had a moment with God and we decided to come clean. We decided to tell people what we had done wrong and not hide it and not live that way. And we repented and we did all these different things to come clean. And we actually, because of the school that we went to at the time, was a Christian school, we had an honor code, we got kicked out of the school. We got kicked out of the school because we violated the code. But because mercy triumphs over justice, the deans of the school went over the provost's decision to remove us from the school. We didn't know this was happening. Our bags were packed. We were leaving. We were going to lose thousands of dollars in tuition money and credits and have to graduate somewhere else, start our life in a new school in our senior year. But they went over the provost to the president of the school. And get this, the president of the school that year had just written a book, God of a Second Chance. Come on, somebody. And that man heard our story and said, they did what? They repented. Yeah, they owned it. They had godly sorrow, not worldly sorrow, which leads, what did the Bible say, 2 Corinthians 7, 10? To life and a life without regret. Oh, my Jesus. I hope this translates through this message to whoever needs to hear this. And he said, give them a second chance. As long as they do the right thing, they need to get married, they can live off campus, and they can graduate from our school. We got mercy. Not only did we get mercy, that year I made Dean's List, I was working my butt off, we had our child, we had our son, our son, Devin. God brought a baby into our life, and that wasn't a consequence of our sin. He became the joy of our repentance. And nothing has proven um, more true than how all of our children, but in particular that year, our son, how much impact he had on my life. That child that came over, my son, changed this duplicitous, lazy, lethargic, purposeless person. And he made me into a man of God. I actually became the man of the house, a good husband, a good father. But it was because God had blessed me uh, with this child. It's amazing sometimes how God can give us another chance on life, another chance through our mistakes because of our response being godly sorrow, not worldly sorrow. Isaiah 43, 18 says, forget the former things. Do not dwell on the past. See, I want to do a new thing. Now it springs up. Don't you perceive it? Can you see it? In other words, I am being, I am bringing a way in the desert and streams in the wasteland. Listen, have you screwed up before? Join the club. That's why I'm telling you this story. Don't live 
and die there. Godly sorrow leads to life and a life without regrets. Worldly sorrow leads to death and it leads to just living in the past and living drained from all the things that you carry with you. God wants to let you off the hook for that. What's amazing that in this story of David's life, this redemptive story, it actually shows up in the Christmas story. Look what it, I'm going to bring us all the way back to Matthew chapter 1. And sometimes this gets missed because nobody wants to read about the genealogies. But this is the genealogy of Jesus, the Messiah, the son of David. I won't read all of them, but it goes on to the son of and the son of and the son of. And then it says the son of Jesse, the, the father of King David. David was the father of Solomon, whose mother had been Uriah's wife. What is hidden in this Christmas story, this redemptive plan, is David's fall and restoration. I think that is placed there for you because you can fall and you can get back up. The Bible says a righteous man falls seven times and my daddy used to say, riseth again. See, how you respond is more important sometimes than even what you do. The Bible says in Matthew 1, 21, she'll give birth to a son and you to give him the name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. All this, all of what? Including all this stuff, including David's mistake. All of David's life, it took place to fulfill what the Lord said through his prophet. See, this is the God who forgives sins. This is the God who gives us a second chance. You're getting ready to go into a new year. Let it be a new year of new beginning. Don't carry that junk in the trunk any longer into your future. Let's let God release you by you being willing to receive his forgiveness. And so what I want to do is I want to pray for you right where you are. I believe God is speaking to you through the word and through the word of God and through these words inspired by him with every head bowed and every eye closed. Would you let me pray for you? If you know that you're there and you need to release this stuff from the past, you need to let it go. You need to turn it over to God. I want you to say that right now, wherever you are, I just turn over that pain and that hurt, that mistake and that guilt. Just tell him you're sorry. Tell God you're sorry. Have a godly, I'm sorry because I was wrong. I'm sorry, not because I was caught, I'm sorry because it was sin. It was against you and it was against your will. And it was against your word. Please, God, forgive me. The Bible says that he can't wait to do that. He will remove that. He will remove your, your sin as far as the east is from the west if you have a godly sorrow. It leads to repentance, to change, and to life and life without regret. Father, in Jesus' name, for every person who said that prayer, and said it from their heart. I pray that you release them from that burden, from that weight. They can't handle it. You can. That's why you're there. I pray that people in, in, in the middle of this uh, end of year, kind of post-Christmas experience, Lord, that they let themselves off the hook. That they go into the year with a spring in their step, lighter, released from the burden and the weight of the world and the weight that they have carried all this time. Let it go in the mighty name of Jesus. Now, if you're here today and you have never made a connection to God, I just did what my little grandsons do when they're hungry. When, if, you're, if you're hungry for God and you've never made a connection with Jesus Christ personally, you want to be certain today. You don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. 
You don't have that confidence that you and God are okay. If you were to draw your last breath, if there was a, a, a vein to pop in your brain and you were God, listen, it can happen to any one of us. Life is a mist. If you want to get right amidst this message, this is a moment for you. And so I want you to do this. Right in the chat, I want you to raise your hand and say, that's me, Pastor Derek. Please pray for me. I want to make it right with God right now. In a couple minutes, people want to pray with you. Jump into a chat and let them help you on your next steps. But your first step is to invite Jesus into your heart. So would you say this prayer? Just close your eyes. Say it from your heart with your mouth. Romans 10 says, if I confess with my mouth, come on, say that. I confess with my mouth the Lord Jesus. I believe in my heart that God raised him from the dead. He paid for my sins, past, present, and future. Right now, in Jesus' name, I receive salvation. Now, Father, for every person who prayed that prayer, by grace through faith, that's how it's made possible. Nothing I could say or nothing I could do, but what they said from their heart and with their mouth that does something in their spirit that was dead, that is now alive, that was old, becomes new. And I thank you, Lord God, for people who just said yes to Jesus. Angels rejoice in heaven because another sinner has come home. We celebrate with you at Connect today. All the people online are happy for you and celebrating with you. Please pray with somebody, talk to somebody. If you want more resources on what to do and where to go next in your spiritual journey, hey, go check out our YouTube channel or come visit us in person in the new year. I can't wait to hang out with you guys. Listen, end of 2021, God bless you guys. I will see you in the new year, 2022. It's the best days are still ahead. God bless you.